you got to own like who you really are and not be apologizing for it and not be trying to rewrite it or be something different. Give more than you get for a good long while, right? Like be offer stuff and, and let people get to know you before you launch anything, go get input, you know, show it to 20 people, beta test it. I'm Coach Des, mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur. My mission is to help you crush your self-limiting beliefs and embrace being unapologetically you. The Born Unbreakable podcast brings you inspirational stories from all over the world that will empower you to unlock your unbreakable spirit. I'd love to partner with you on your next breakthrough. Go to bornunbreakable.com to schedule a free transformational call. Action begins today. Welcome to the Born Unbreakable podcast. It's November. It's unbelievable. I can't believe we made it here because it means holidays and also less than 60 days left in the year, something thereabouts. So I think it's a very reflective time and it's such a timely topic. Today we're talking about branding. It's something I've talked about on my show before, but I would really like to talk about it today in a different light. And there is no better person to talk about it with than my guest, Susan Hamilton Meyer, who happens to be an expert in this topic. So we're going to have a really great discussion, but Susan is many things besides being a branding expert. What I love specifically is her mission to empower women. Um, and because that's what I care about too. So there's alignment. That's a, a branding connection that we have, but she really helps women untangle the zigzags of their career to find a clear, shiny thread of their story and design the next steps of their professional journey, which as we know for anyone who's listening, it's not a straight line. In my, in my firm, and we actually both have consulting in our background, um, we, we say it's more of a rock wall. <laughs> It's more of a rock wall where you have to climb through different sections to get to where you want to go. It's 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 really not just a ladder. And that's such a such a stereotypical way to describe things. If you ever went through any sort of professional development journey, it would always be the the career ladder and assuming that it is always an upward move. There's so many other types of moves like lateral or just changing interests, not necessarily changing, you know, positions um, to attain more power, but just to attain more creativity. For example, um, she happens to have also gone to Harvard Business School. Not not a bad place to learn a couple of things or two. So, you know, I'm sure your brain has been picked because of the elite you know, that you you've happen to have the, the pleasure to learn around and be around. But I, I'm just grateful for you coming on the show and just spending some time having a really authentic conversation with me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I think this is going to be fun. I think so too. Tell us where you're calling in from today. Yeah, I'm in New York City. I'm in Manhattan, up in the Columbia University area. Beautiful. I love I love New York. So we're we're representing both coasts today. 
got the East Coast and the West Coast meeting to make some magic. But as I was talking to Susan, you know, before we started recording, one of the most powerful things that we both agree to in branding is your story. So can you talk a little bit about your personal story, Susan? Oh, sure. So I am a visual artist, and that's what I studied when I went to college. And the last thing in the world I thought I would end up doing is working in business. Um, I did like internships in museums and at Sotheby's, and I was thinking about maybe working in a gallery or, you know, if I had the courage, maybe even being an artist. And I was given this job opportunity. I graduated college during a big recession and I had the opportunity to take a job in management consulting, which seemed like a wildly exotic thing to me, having never studied economics, having never opened a spreadsheet, knowing nothing about business. But it was presented to us in, um, I think the analogy they used was, you know, do you like to solve puzzles, right? Do you like to kind of play with complex problems and figure out what, you know, what the solutions might be? And I thought, yeah, that is my brain work, the way my brain works. And to this day, I really do enjoy those strategic questions that, oh, that's interesting. Like, what if we did it this way? What might be a better way to distribute those energy bars or, you know what I mean? Like all these things that aren't explicitly creative, but they're creative thinking. So mm -hmm. that threw me into consulting. They really gave me an education because they had to, because I didn't know what I was doing. But what I discovered working there, um, I wasn't, was not the queen of the spreadsheets, but what I did a lot of was um, interviewing people. And I worked in the consumer practice and I started to do a lot of interviewing um, for on behalf of consumer goods companies, what they do customer research or consumer insights is what they call it. And I found that super interesting how emotionally attached people were to the brands that they used, that they wore, that they ate. And I just wanted to go deeper. I had no idea at that time that there was such a thing as branding, that there were agencies that did branding. Of course, we all know there are advertising agencies, but there's this whole industry in between kind of, you know what your strategy is and somebody's going to go put it on, you know, on a billboard or, you know, the virtual equivalent. And, but there's this discipline in between, which is really about storytelling Funny enough, you asked me to start by sharing my story, <laughs> which is really what branding is about. So kind of the meta answer to your question. I got really interested in the branding piece, the storytelling piece. Um, I lived in New York City. Um, oh, I lived in Boston first. I went with the Boston Consulting Group, which was my employer at the time. Um, they sent me to Asia. So I lived in Singapore. I lived in Hong Kong. That was exciting. Um, I was thinking about what to do next. So I, it was a two year program at the time. I'm telling you the details because we're talking about the zigzag path. So I don't normally go into this much depth and I'll keep it quick, but there were so many zigzags, right? So Boston and then Asia. And then I was like, maybe I want to do the backpacker thing. Cause I'm, you know, 23, let's like check that out. So I did that for a while. Then I had a, a planning to come back to the U.S. I got a job offer in Singapore to run a theater. Wow, that's exciting. I was a theater kid in high school. I kind of was thinking about doing nonprofit art stuff. So 
I helped build this theater in Singapore, which is called the Singapore Repertory Theater. It's a huge theater now. It's amazing. Um, but that was a long time ago. And it was just a small theater that was looking to, you know, establish this kind of international presence. So that was exciting. Then I decided to go to business school. Um, so I, that's when I came back to Boston, I went to Harvard um, and I spent a couple more years at BCG because they actually helped me out with business school, which was great. Um, and that's when I came to New York. And that was around the time when the internet was starting to take off and big brands really still didn't have a handle on what their brand meant in an online environment. And this kind of move from who are we in a bricks and mortar world and who, what does that mean, who we are in a virtual world? And that was a fascinating time to be part of, you know, consumer goods and retail world. And I kept doing a lot more of that, interviewing people. We did focus groups. We did in-home interviews. We did shop-alongs. We did one-on-ones. You know, we watched people navigate you know, the web, as we called it at the time, <laughs> about like, how are you going to make purchase? Are you buying books online? What does that look like? Um, I went into women's homes and looked in their lingerie drawers because I was working for a big retailer, uh, lingerie retailer. Um, fascinating, fascinating. So when I finished there in that kind of, it was, a again, like a two-year role that I had signed on for, I had the opportunity to go work in a branding agency, but I also was feeling the pull of wait a second, I'm a visual artist. Is this really the direction that I want to go with my career, like horses and gangbusters? Or do I want to like get back to my center and find myself like really who I am? So I said, okay, I'm going to take kind of a self-imposed sabbatical. I'm going to do a little freelancing in the, which is kind of a weird thing to do when you're in your late 20s. I mean, it's not normally the time when people are like, let me take some time to ponder. But I just couldn't, I, I don't know, I've always had to kind of follow that voice inside of me that's like, I'm not sure that what I'm doing here is like fully and entirely me. It's a part of me, but I'm also missing something. I'm missing that visual piece, that visual creativity. So again, the universe conspires to help you. It just so happened that a friend had a studio that he was looking to share. So that was a whole period of time. That was when Dumbo was fresh and new and not crowded with shops, but crowded with artists. We had an amazing time, an amazing space. We did open studios. We held dance parties. I made a lot of art. I learned a lot of stuff. Um, and I freelanced as a, as a brand, brand consultant. So I was kind of doing these two things at the same time. And I also did all sorts of other stuff. Like I was helping out a friend who was an interior designer and I was making art for her and I was doing the windows at Bergdorf's. And I was just like, tasting a little bit of everything. It was really, really fun. Um, and then I decided that I wanted to start a family and all of that, like a little bit of this, a little bit of that felt a little bit not grounded enough, you know, like if I was going to be a parent. So I thought, okay, this logic turned out not to be the best logic, but my logic was <laughs> I should get a kind of a one job situation going on if I'm going to be, you know, a family person now. So six months pregnant, I went and got a job in a branding agency and they were like, I mean, bless them to their credit. They were like, that's great. We welcome you aboard. <laughs> fully suspecting that I might be getting in over my head. Right. And I'm suddenly going to have this new baby. And 
as it turned out, you know, it worked for a little while until it didn't work. You know, I didn't actually have to do that much traveling in that role. Um, I ended up switching to another agency, not because of any problem I was having, but you know, how these things go, you get recruited by somebody else. So I worked for two different agencies while I had my first child and then a second child. And then with the second, I realized it's just too much, right? I'm in a client service business. My team also needs me to be there. I can't be like, oh, my kid has an ear infection. I got to go. And, you know, it wasn't, people were not nearly as comfortable then. Even though we had the technology, people were not as comfortable then with like, oh, I'll just hop on a Zoom call and we can do the call remote while my kid is crying in the background. Like people didn't do that. And I think that's a huge evolution that's going to help in so many dimensions that people are more comfortable with that now. But anyway, at the time I thought, I think my option here is, and I've been thinking about it for a while anyway. I think my option here is to kind of hang out my own shingle and try to do this on my own. And worst case scenario, I freelance for a couple of years until my kids get older and I go back and get another job. Best case scenario, which is what it turned out to be, is that I love being an entrepreneur. It was not, I don't want to say it wasn't difficult. It's always difficult and challenging to get a business off the ground and, and get clients. But it wasn't as stressful at all as I thought that was going to be. I actually enjoy doing that. I don't feel like I'm selling because I'm talking about stuff that I genuinely enjoy doing. And... Mm -hmm. Anyway, 12 years later, here I am. I've been running this business now for 12 years. Um, and for the first you know, eight years of that, it was all the stuff that I had been doing before in agency world, big corporate brands, um, ranging all the way up to Fortune 100 companies, but also very much as an independent practitioner, my sweet spot was in those companies that are like 30 to $50 million revenue, thinking about almost ready to go public and they really want to like clean up their branding so that they look profesh. Right. And so I worked with a lot of those companies. A lot of them turned out to be in technology and healthcare. Um, started doing a lot of work in healthcare just because I found it really interesting. It wasn't something I had a background in at all before. Um, and yeah, so that was just an amazing kind of multiple pivots that I just explained to you. And then about four years ago, and I have to say it was probably a trickle before that, of people coming to me like, I'm not really, I, like, I can't pay you what you get paid by corporate corporate clients, but can you just help me? Like, I have a quick, I need to write my deck for this business I'm starting, or I'm looking for a job. Can you help me write my bio? Because that's kind of what you do for, like, you write the copy on the back of the cereal box, right? Like, what's my cereal box copy? So I was doing a little bit of that, either pro bono or, you know, at, for a tiny fee. And then I started like feeling, and it was co coincided with the pandemic as well. Like, so we all had this weird shift and, you know, I'm not sure I would say I had more time on my hands, but my time was different. Yeah. Um, and during that time, I thought I'm going to start writing down all the exercises that I do with my corporate clients to help them with brand positioning, to help them with innovation. Cause I had this whole kind of bag of tricks that I would use. Like there were collaging exercises, there were fill in the blank word searches. There were, you know, different kind of ways of activating people's creativity to look at things differently. 
And I was like, what if I could just put all those exercises down? It'll be a good exercise anyway to do that, even if I never turn it into a new business. But as it turned out, I turned it into a new business. I created this workbook that's specifically geared for individuals who are either searching for what to do next and trying to kind of get their brand kind of shiny and tidy and figure out how to tell their story, which might not be the easiest story to tell. I gave you my long, ugly, dirty version of my story today because of what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. But you can't tell that whole thing to a new person. You need to tell your story in 10 seconds. Right, it's the elevator pitch version for another time, right? But it has, and it kind of has to make sense together, but be a little interesting. It's a really, it's, it's an art form and it is, exactly what large commercial brands do when they explain to you why you should buy their Cheerios instead of somebody else's, right? Like it's exactly the same. So, and what I found in doing that work, so then I started kind of more formally coaching and kind of working people through the tools that I had developed. And I love it so much. I mean, you know, because you work in this space, to be doing that work that's so aligned with your heart and your mission of, you know, lifting up women. I see, and, and I, I do have some male clients, but the majority who've come to me are women. And a lot of it does, I mean, the data supports that it is largely women who do things like take time off to do elder care or child care. Like we are more so the zigzaggers of the workforce than men for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And so the people who are finding me because my message is about like, hey, going back and forth makes your storytelling harder, but it actually makes you more interesting, more innovative. You've got a bigger skill set. You've got a bigger network. It, this is a feature, not a bug. So start there. Stop beating yourself up for taking the zigzag path. You have done amazing things. And now let's sit down and like make a big collage of what those are and find the thread, find the through line, find the way that you're going to tell your story that turns people on and draws the people to you that you want in your tribe. Oh my, it's, it's, <laughs> you are brilliant, Susan, because I think you're, you're, you're hitting on something that, everybody can relate to, which is we're not one trick ponies. We're dynamic human beings. We have different ideas. You know, I think the challenge is the difference between chasing every shiny object and figuring out how to hone the couple of things that you have a passion behind, because I see that all the time. Yes. There's kind of primary that, that sustain people where this is the thing that pays the bills that you enjoy doing. But by the way, you're also a yoga enthusiast or you happen to be um, a junior chef that probably could be on, you know, the next top chef show or something like that. And so there's there's a lot, I think, of layers to a person. And I think the the essence of branding is being able to bring out those best pieces. But you you said something that's so thought provoking, which is what is that common thread? What is that through line? And I think that's the difference between, um, or that's that point where, where people get stuck because they, they know that they have all these dynamic elements to themselves, but they're not quite sure how to put that all together. And that's where somebody like you with such a diverse background in branding can help them 
you know, just get a little bit past that hurdle. And what's is- cool about what you, the way that you find your through line is also the way that you prevent yourself from chasing the shiny object. Because the shiny object tends to be either about what's trending, right? What's hot, what other people are doing, or about money. And, you know, so many of us have, I mean, most of us have like a very real revenue imperative, right? In our lives. So that's not nothing. Many of us also have kind of just a hang, like a whole set of fears around money that make it difficult for us to like really see clearly what it is that we want to be doing where we can also make money, not, you know, that I'm going to go starve for my art, but, but finding, so the process of self-reflection is really what it's about of putting all of that fear and how am I going to get there and what's going to happen aside. And so I always start with like the who am I part, portion of the programming, which will help you tell your story. Because when you start to understand what your core values are, when you start to understand what your passions are, what your superpowers are, what your, what your strength is, then you go, oh, I see why I made that choice. I see why I quit that job that paid me a lot of money and went off and did this other thing that didn't that everybody thought didn't make sense. They thought I was a crazy person. Other (laughs) thing, you know, if if you live long enough, (laughs) you realize that other thing comes back later, 15 years later, and you're so glad you did it because it gave you the credentials to do this other thing, which is hugely revenue generating. You know, so some of it is a little bit of time and patience, but the, the seeing who you truly are and what you truly care about starts to unlock both. And I talk about owning your story as well as writing your story. So before you can write your story, like, hey, how do I position myself for other people to see me and like me? You got to own like who you really are and not be apologizing for it and not be trying to rewrite it or be something different. Like you are, you are who you are. To a certain extent, you're born who you are. Right. I, that's so crazy. But- <laughs> when we started talking, I told you my story, which I actually haven't fully told. That's why I'm writing a book about it. It's like the being unapologetically you, which is my message is, you know, I struggled with that. That's why I needed to make it my message because it wasn't, I always felt like I had to live up to the other stories you know, and have find those similarities because then I could fit in and I could be accepted because there those people were accepted. And I think that that recognizing your uniqueness and what makes you who you are is in incomparable. That's that's what makes your brand unique is because you're not trying to be like everyone else. But so I did have this question for you because I do think it's in this day and age, we're sitting here in this, in this interview, November, 2022. And there's, there's a lot that has happened over the last couple of months, years, you know, 
The pandemic isn't obvious. We're, we're kind of on the other side of that, managing a hybrid world where we're virtual, in person. We could do both. We understand that now. But we're also in the, in the age of the influencer, which is these people that come out and they just have this massive following of millions of people. And you're not even quite sure exactly what they're influencing, but they're called an influencer. Like that's a thing that people want to sign up to do. There's young people today in their schools that are going consultant, doctor, lawyer, influencer. Like that seems like a faster path if I get on YouTube, TikTok or something. How do you cut through the noise of what is out there today that keeps you practical in finding your way to get out there in the world amongst all the influencers and things that are on the internet now. Yeah, I think it's about kind of where you start, right? If you start out going, I want to be an influencer, but you don't have an answer to the question like, well, what are you passionate about? It's going to be really hard to build that, right? I mean, it's fine to start out saying, you know, there's a million famous people who grew up saying, I want to be famous. That's fine to want to be an influencer, but you got to have some content, right? Like what's your point of view? What's your passion? What's your thing? The people who become influencers have something that they just can't get enough of. And they do not get bored going out there over and over again, because that world of influencers it's 24 seven, it's every day. So you have to be really into whatever it is that you're doing. And then I would say on the flip side, if you're genuinely that into something, you're going to find your audience. I think that, you know, if I look at it, come at it from the other way, from like building a corporate brand, they all want to be influencers. That's the whole game, right? Like if you're Coca-Cola, you want to be a cultural influence. Like that's what they're trying to do. You know, they're selling soda. It's not like a very differentiated product. It's not like a new technology. So what they're trying to do is, you know, create kind of a, a cultural moment or, and I'm not trying to pick out Coca-Cola, like insert any brand, right? That, that kind of plays in that sort of space. Um, so I think that, you know, what the, what the big brands understand is that you need to come in with a point of view and a real perspective and then find the people that are your people and they're not all going to be your people. So you can't yeah. just go like, I want everyone to love me. You have to let them understand who you are and then the people who connect with you will love you. So yeah. it's what's your genuine, like can't get enough super passion, superpower thing Mm -hmm. You're going to create your world on your influencer brand, if that's what you want to do. And then how are you going to explain that every day in every way so that kind of the tribe gathers, right? The people who really are connecting to that know it's for them and get something out of what you're saying, they're learning something or they're feeling a certain way or or maybe you're selling them products that they need. But whatever that is, they're getting something out of that relationship because a brand is actually just a relationship that you're building. The logo and the colors and the content and the thing, that's just an expression of that. But 
what you're looking for, you know, I think then the world of influencers is a perfect example of that, right? We're looking for people to follow us. We're looking for friends. We want people to, you know, it's called different stuff on different platforms, but we want people to friend us. We want friends. We're looking for relationships. That's what building your brand is. Yeah. No, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And I'm thinking about, you know, when you said big companies, there is a bunch of names that are flying through my head because they are mainstays. You know, you think about Nike and just do it, or you think about Coca-Cola, or you think about McDonald's. I mean, companies that are timeless, you know, you've seen that arch everywhere, different countries, doesn't matter where you go. You know, the, the shoes people are wearing, walking on their feet, and there's, there's a simplicity, and there's a very clear message. Um, and so I was, it started making me think about how do you retain your authenticity? Because I, that's kind of how I think about these, these brands that have said such long sustainability, but then also innovate along the way a decade or plus later. That's a huge, huge challenge. I mean, I think that you just hit the nail on the head of the biggest challenge for a mature large developed brand. Because on the one hand, once you get to that place where you're a Nike, you have so much equity in what you've got. It's very dangerous. I mean, those brands protect the minutia of every element of their brand personality, right? Like, what's the exact Pantone of each M&M is a part of the M&M brand, right? Like every single thing, we don't even think about it. And so for them to make even small incremental moves like a flavor variation or, you know, a new silhouette in fashion is a big, big deal, right? And so they tested and they, you know, quantitatively and qualitatively, and they make very kind of, and this different companies do it differently, right? But like the impulse is to be very conservative because you don't want to erode the equity of your brand. You don't want to walk away from a good thing. However, being very conservative makes it very difficult to be innovative. And so the game is to balance, like and some companies do it by we're going to create a whole separate group that does nothing but big blue sky, crazy idea innovation. And we're going to let them run and give them a budget. And every so often they'll come to us with something good enough to test and we'll see what to do, but we don't want them constrained by, you know, what we know in the rest of the corporation is sacred, right? Like we don't want to touch this. We want them to forget about all the things that are sacred. And that's a model that seems to work pretty well. Um, but it's a challenge and, you know, also the get into the boring bits of the budgeting, but it's also difficult from a budgeting perspective, because if you're a publicly traded company, you're beholden to your shareholders and your shareholders are not necessarily as keen to see you take a big hit, a loss. We're going to take a big leap of faith and go venture off and do this other crazy thing. And you have the stability. Like, I think, you know, I, for anyone listening, you know, that, that, you know, Victoria's Secret. Okay. Like I, I, I thought of that because it's, it's, a, it's a household name, 
right? We know Victoria's Secret models, like when you hear that, and then and now they've they you know, but they also have things that are that are bigger sizes, so it's not just the the tiny woman because you know we're in a day and age where it's about embracing things. But then they came out with pink, right? Yeah. So pink, it's kind of like having a posh spice and. And sporty spice, where you've got the sexy, you've got all the, you know, all the sultry stuff. But then you're like, oh, but I want to go to my exercise class. And now I could just a one-stop shop. I could go get some workout pants, but then, you know, I could go be sexy after. <laughs> right? So there's there's things like that where there's almost like a preservation yeah. of a staple and then somewhat of a spin-off where you're keeping the integrity because it's still fashion, but then now there's like another niche that you're kind of catering to that can compete with, uh, you know, other brands that are in that niche. Yeah. That's another good example. Brand hierarchy, I think is what you're talking about where you can create parallel brands underneath the same umbrella with the same or slightly different or completely different names? Does the public even know that they're part of the same brand? So there's lots of architecture questions you can play with. And that's another tool that large corporations use to allow themselves to be innovative without, you know, while mitigating the risk to their base brand. Victoria's Secret is an interesting example from a different perspective as well. Um, you know, I think that you've got this company that was for many years, if not decades, a beacon of innovation and a very successful retail story. And I think that they have struggled to innovate in a world which sort of changed out from under them. And that's another challenge of innovation is like keeping your eye on the context because the context changes all the time. And so how do you, if suddenly the world moves left and you're here on the right, and I'm not talking politically, but the world moves in one direction, you know, zigs and you're, you're over in the zag corner, right? Yes. Um, what do you do? You know, what do you do with a world that is um, kind of almost antithetical to your existing brand equity? Mm -hmm. um, that's a challenging question as well. Yeah. And, and competition. I mean, that that's the thing. We we live, uh, you know, we're, we're having this conversation in the United States, and I, I think it can resonate beyond that. But there's capitalism. There's, you know, there's for every, for every Victoria's Secret, there's a mom and pop pop up that just came up and they're have their own unique story. And so that that's going to exist. And I do think like the fashion and beauty industry, that's difficult, you know, you know, amen and congratulations to people who are going into those spaces that have such a big competition because, you know, there's, there's such a saturation there, but it doesn't mean that you're not going to be successful. I think you're, it just requires, you know, that innovation, creativity to, to break through because it, because it is hard. Like, so the other day, um, a friend of mine was doing a, a party, you know, there's, there's a lot of those kinds of brands where it's more word of mouth, right? You throw a little party and there's credits that go to the person hosting the party. They have kind of an expert come in. And I hadn't done that for a while with fashion, but it's a brand called Cabbie. 
C-A-B-I, and it's a women's fashion. And so I'm like, I'm all about it. I I keep telling myself I want to go shopping for some new stuff. And I just, I haven't had time, even online and everything, but this is kind of killing two birds with one stone, hang out with a friend, do some networking, check out some clothes. And their, their philosophy was around creating looks. So not just like going and, you know, you buy that jacket and that shirt, and then you end up with all this stuff and like they kind of match, but maybe not you you're because you just bought them all at different times because you're just walking around the mall randomly grabbing things you think are cute. Their mission is everything goes together. If you get these pants, you could interchange it with this shirt or jacket. It's still going to look good. So their, their message is about having timelessness, mm-hmm. being able to alternate and go from like day to night with keeping on the same pants, but just changing the jacket or something like that. And it was very intriguing. Needless to say, I probably spent too much beyond what I had intended and because I, I got all excited, but but it was a different value proposition. It was a different message than I'd seen, and it, it spoke to me. So I was like, hey, why not? If this is going to do all this, I dig it. I dig it. Yeah, <laughs> it gave you a clear value proposition, you know, yeah. they explained it in a way that resonated with you and then their products backed it up because by the way, some people can create great messaging and then you look at the product and you go. (laughs) So those are all good things. And I think also the story of these, you know, smaller companies who are coming, you know, from the ground up, that's something that's happening now that couldn't have happened a generation ago, right? Because we have like completely different channels. And, you know, if we think it's competitive now in the beauty space, imagine 30 years ago, there was, there were zero entry points. Now, yes, it's hard work, but you can go build a brand from scratch. And there's, there's also perhaps a different consumer who you're speaking to, who's more interested in a homegrown brand. And maybe they're interested in sustainable packaging or organic materials or, you know, something interesting like a mix and match proposition that they haven't seen before. And so there's room for entrepreneurs in a way that I think is very exciting. Yeah, I do. I do think this is a very exciting time. So for anyone listening, my encouragement is that there's an abundance, I think, of resources. Now it really is finding your uniqueness. So one of the questions that I had for you is, what are some of those breakthrough tips? So if there's someone listening and they're on that edge, they've already have a vision. You know, they're not too concerned with, oh, is it going to be the right logo? Because they have the right message. They'll get with a team that figures out all of those, that minutia. How do they break through to do those couple of things that will give them, um, start to give them that organic audience, like you said, that that target that they're looking for, that they can just build. Because what what one thread that I have learned of different experts that I've talked to that I think is really, really good is it's about finding those super fans that will just continue on with you, you know? And so it doesn't take having to start with a million people to go, I'm going to buy your stuff, your product, your service, whatever it is. It starts with those people that are with you that are organic that, you know, they're going to be with you 10 years from now. You know? Yeah. What are I think one you- of the 
mistakes or misconceptions that's easy to have because we have this sense that we could all be connected to millions of people. I mean, we are connected potentially to millions of people. The moment we open Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, we forget that like, well, they're not paying attention unless they actually somehow know who you are, right? And so at the end of the day, we're still making friends one at a time, right? We're still building the brand one relationship at a time. And so I think that's like one of the tips that I give is go make friends, whether that's literally you have a trunk show and you're shaking hands with people and like getting to know people face to face or go into your social media, you know, activities, whatever they may be with that in mind. So less performative and more interactive, right? You're getting to know people and it also takes the pressure off, right? You're not, you don't have, you don't have to be tap dancing. Just go be yourself and like go make friends and be generous and understand that you're not going to probably be profitable in the first, I'm depending on what your business is, right? But like give more than you get for a good long while, right? Like be, offer stuff, Yes. And and let people get to know you. Yeah, um, it's you're not just like selling, selling, selling from the beginning. Well, you know your point about one-on-one -on -one interaction, I think is is spot on. The likelihood of your ability to be more genuine and and also less nervous because it's not like speaking in front of a hundred people that you don't know, trying to go, hey, do you want to buy my stuff? Like is <laughs> necessarily the most, you know, non-threatening, fearful kind of situation. Um, having a one-on-one -on -one is, is just easier to do. Like uh, one of the things that I've found, you know, as a podcaster and, and really getting excited about the opportunity for different kinds of people to share their knowledge on the show is that whole notion of sliding into the DM. I can't even tell you how <laughs> Okay. Like if there's just somebody and I appreciate one of the things that I do, it's not, and I don't just go and like follow somebody comment and like their stuff. Cause that kind of, that's like what mm -hmm. everybody's doing. I'll send them a voice note. Oh, nice. I'll, I mean, it's only a minute. It cuts you off. So you, you have to be very efficient. It's not like you're sending somebody a 20 minute, you know, whole thing that is going to totally they're not going to pay attention to. You can take 60 seconds or less and say something very meaningful and, and it's fine. My whole thing is even if somebody totally didn't pay attention and moved on, if you did that 10 times, that's 10 minutes. And even if there were two people that responded, that's a 20% return rate. That's, that only took 10 minutes. Because you only have those 60 seconds every time to, to make a quick introduction and start some, some conversation that's a little bit more eye-catching than just the like, hey, like, you know, message. So yeah. be creative. I, I think love is that. That's a great tip. I think the other one that I would say in answer to your question is ask for feedback. And, and in two ways or at two kind of junctures, 
One is um, kind of as you're putting together or if you're refreshing your messaging, your brand, your look and feel in any way. Before you start doing that, ask the people, you know, again, depending on what your brand is about, but it could be former clients. You could do a little survey of consumers. You could ask the people you work with who know you. Just ask them to tell you what they think is different about you or, you know, I'm thinking, of course, as a coach, like about you. But if you are selling lipstick, it's like about your product and about your, you know, the vibe of your brand. Um, because, you know, there's that expression, you can't read the label of the jar that you're in. It's so true. Like you think the thing that comes easily to you, you're like, well, of course, everyone else is doing that. They're not. <laughs> They're not. And you can't see that that's what's valuable and unique about you to other people because it's so easy for you. You're like, of course, everyone's doing that. So getting that input first or alongside when you're kind of writing your messaging and thinking about your brand, super helpful. And then once you've kind of got everything down, right, you've written your elevator pitch or you've got your pitch deck or you've got your website, before you launch anything, go get input. You know, show it to 20 people, beta test it. Yeah, that's when that's not hard to do. Not, right? But we it's all, like, myself included, I forget. <laughs> all set. Well, the other thing, and this is, and this is personal. So I know that I need to, like, I'm at that place, especially at this time of the year where I'm making a commitment right now here on this podcast episode that I'm going to do this. So if you get an email from me <laughs> or a call or a text, don't ignore it because I'm going to be asking you for feedback because that's what Susan told me to do. Now, also ask for constructive feedback. I was at a, I was at an event and I, you know, was hearing this and it was specifically in the in the realm of podcasting, but I was like, "Dang, yeah." You know, because you always want to hear what's good, right? What do you love about my brand? What do you, you know, and it's great. It makes you feel good. You're like, okay, keep doing this. But you also have to hear maybe what people aren't such a fan of. Or or sometimes it's the improvement opportunities. Not that it's terrible, but there's a couple ideas that other people have about making it better or whatever that is. And even though it's harder to hear. <laughs> there are a couple of um, little tricks, like little scripts that you can use. Like, so in the coaching or consulting world, you can do something like, um, imagine, I haven't done this and I won't, but imagine that I asked you to rate our project on a scale from one to 10. And um, let's say you were generous and gave me an eight hypothetically, what do you think would have been the one or two things that could have moved the needle from the eight to the 10? So you give them all that preamble, you let them save face, you are generous in like, of course, we both know this was a great relationship. They don't have to say anything else. We love like all the love, but can you just give me like one thing that, you know, so you're making them give you something negative, but like constructive that you can actually do differently and learn from mm -hmm. while maintaining all the love, right? All so, the love. <laughs> so there's just little things you can do like that. 
This is really funny. And you'll appreciate this having some background in consulting. Okay, so one of the things as a senior leader that I have to think about is this very topic of getting feedback. And at, at the firm that I work with, we use the net promoter score. So for anybody who's listening that doesn't know what this concept is, it's very simple. A client gets a survey, it's very brief, it's only gonna take them about five minutes to fill out. It's asking them about their experience with you, and this is in a service-based industry. So if you're a different industry, maybe the questions would be a little different, but the essence of it is to ask them, um, not just about the experience, but the most important question is about if they would recommend you. Okay. Now in the net promoter world, you only want a nine or a 10. That's all that matters because a nine or a 10 is a promoter. An eight is really just, it's a neutral, right? And it's passive. We call it passive. And anything less than that is what's called a detractor. And so that's really where if anybody is giving you less, really an eight or less, you want to, just like you described, know why that is. And you'll you know, get a, a variety of, of answers, but it's important to understand that because it could be the tiniest nuance. And sometimes it's one experience, one interaction that, that could make or break the difference between why they did that and then there's some people you find out, oh, well, I, I don't I don't ever give anything a 10. Like, why would I do that? That's no, like nothing deserves that. So some people are just hard graders. a little bit of that, yeah. You know, by and large, I think people, um, when asked, do want to be honest, you know, like we, we've all taken the airline surveys or the hotel surveys and like, oh, yeah, the room wasn't cleaned as good or the service was like this on the plane, whatever. It's a similar concept. So in that light, that could be something now that we're sitting here talking about this, that any brand doesn't matter what you do, whether you're a service or retail, that you could maybe even if it was like once a year. The big brands all do this and the technology is out there that make it cheap and easy for all of us to do it, too. Go ask for feedback, create your own net promoter score. Just ask that question. And I wanted to say something about what you mentioned before and what I call moments of delight. What's really interesting and like this is really the work, a big part of the work that I've been doing with corporations for so many years, like gathering this insight and feedback in multiple ways so that they can learn from their customers. Um, what makes people really happy and satisfied with their experience and therefore likely to give that high net promoter score is largely not, uh, you know, they don't sit back and survey the sort of five-year relationship they've had with this person or this brand and think equally and balance proportions, right? They're, it's like a very emotional thing. And they go, you know what's amazing about her? There was this one time 
that I was really struggling and she went above and beyond and talked to me for an hour free of charge. She totally unlocked the problem I was having and I, you know, nailed my interview the next day. I'm just making this up. But that, but I've seen it like from, from health insurance to uh, light bulbs, like this is a thing. This is a thing. People remember the moment, the above and beyond moment, the delight. And so how can we offer, and that's when I say give more than you get, those moments of delight are not making you money in those in the moment. So like forget about that. Sometimes. I mean, I don't mean don't <laughs> I don't mean don't worry about your you know. Yeah. But now that can be the conditions if they continue the contract with you, <laughs> you know, or that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Those are the things that build the relationship that then you get the next contract because you were so helpful in that moment. Mm -hmm. It is. It's and and it's it's about being relationship driven versus transactional oriented, and that's, that's I think it's difficult, right? Because today it's so easy to do that everything is the touch of a button so being transactional is kind of the nature of the environment we live in we deal with transactions more rapidly than ever before you yeah. could do all your banking and do all your everything you don't ever have honestly you don't ever have to leave your home that's it's kind of terrifying and interesting at the same time you could buy your groceries, buy your clothing, buy all your products. Just you can buy a car online now. Buy your car. And you could talk to your friends. I mean, it's not like you're disconnected, you know, from the people that you care about. Hopefully you do step out and do other things because it's healthy for you. But but that's the world. That's what I mean. That's just the world we live in. So if you want to, this this is another you know topic that I've that I've been connecting with more people on. If you want to build meaningful relationships, you do have to figure out those above and beyond things because there isn't the hallway conversations anymore. If everything is just this this type of interaction, you don't have the okay. Now we're off of the formal. And then we just get to go to walk to grab a coffee before we go on to the next formal thing. But it's in those moments where you learn about someone's parent is sick. They have a child who's struggling. You figure out they're personally struggling. Like you don't have those moments because everything is just like back to back to back to back, meeting, meeting, agenda, agenda. And so how do you find those meaningful moments that allow people to know you care above above the deal above the sale above the money and that's the finesse i yeah. think yeah so my gosh well i want to make sure before we wrap up that i ask you a couple questions that get uh people to know you even better and your perspective your per experience so the first question that i want to ask you um to pay you know, light to my brand, <laughs> Born Unbreakable, is Susan, what makes you unbreakable? You mean what experiences or what kind of characteristics? Either. Whatever. <laughs> you. 
Well, I know it's cliche, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, but that is so true. It's like, and I think that's why I asked you the question, like, it's really the experiences that you've been through that are difficult, that make you, where you learn resilience, where you learn where your breaking point is or isn't, you know, and it, it's the fact, right? Like we, we are all resilient and we can handle so much. Um, so I think about like in my life, probably the hardest things that I've been through are going through a cancer scare, going through a divorce, um, breaking up with my business partner, which we were talking about before we went on air. Um, those kind of big life rifts, right? So there's like a before and an after. And I think collectively, that's what the pandemic was for all of us. There's kind of a before time and an after time, like the world has changed, or 9-11 was that collectively. So I think those things where you're like, oh, God, I survived that. Okay. I learned a lot from that. I'm a nicer person. I'm a better person. I'm a more grateful person. I also took a look at some of the things that I was doing that precipitated that situation or that didn't make that situation better. I could have done differently in that situation and learned from that. And I think that I have two teenagers at home. So I think about this a lot in terms of like, there's this huge mental health crisis among teenagers. And as parents, we're supposed to be you know, we're doing our best to teach them resilience, to teach them to be unbreakable or to at the very least know that they are unbreakable. And it's very hard because they haven't had those life experiences. And so they're about to bump up against the first time or second time that something's ah for them. And that's really scary because they can't rely on like the answer to your question for me is like, well, I've been through this, this, and this, and this, right? Mm -hmm. So the first couple times you do it are not easy. Um, mm -hmm. And then I think that I, uh, like in terms, I think there are also different qualities that we each bring. Like some people are, my husband is just a sunny optimist. He just is an... I don't mean I'm a pessimist, but that's that's not my, I don't bring that. What I bring, I'm kind of scrappy. I'm like a survivor. Like whatever happens, I will figure it out. Like this gets taken away. Okay, well, I'm going to like build a shack over there. <laughs> like, And that's, that's a good quality. And, you know, sometimes it gets in my way, but also that's kind of what I bring to any crisis situation. Like, okay, let's figure this out. I love it. And we're, we're all different, right? We each have, and, but knowing what that thing is that you bring and really like owning it and meditating on it and like honoring it is so important. And I bet that that's what you do a lot of in your work with people. Yeah. Own that power mm -hmm. and individuality because it really does separate you from, from everyone else. What about a self-limiting belief? What is a self-limiting belief you've had to overcome personally? Oh, gosh. I think there's like this <clears throat> that's for other people kind of feeling that I've worked really hard and long. You know, like the whole mythology 
that so many people get earlier in their careers, like, you know, don't quit your day job. Well, no one really gets to do that. Or like, that's a one in a million thing. Or like that person must have had connections to get that thing or whatever. And I, I will say now from lived experiences and watching other people, you know, and myself, I just don't think that's largely true. I mean, of course, some people have extraordinary luck or extraordinarily extraordinary network, but there's lots of people who just go out and do the work and have the spark and make stuff happen. Most mm -hmm. of all, what I see is people who really know what they want and keep at it. That's not magic. Right. I mean, it's not easy either because sometimes it takes a while to know exactly what you want. And it certainly takes a lot of effort to keep at it. Mm. Not magic. Right. And so like I get, you know, back to my kids, like when they come to me, I think I might want to do this or that when I grow up. I think, well, why not you? That's the right answer. Not mm -hmm. like, oh, well, not that many people get to do that or like, oh, you'll never make any money doing that. Like. Sure, that's a great idea. I think you're going to rock it and be wildly successful at it. Yeah, if somebody's doing it. Why not you? Exactly. And I think I'll be cultivating that. And that took me a very long time to do. And there's mm -hmm. still a little evil twin voice in the back of my oh. head. I want to do something like, no one's ever going to publish your book. You know, oh. <laughs> that's like the world right. I'm living in. You know, that's what that's what I'm writing about is. <laughs> My self-limiting belief is unworthiness. It's too big. That's too big for you. That's too much for you. Because it was the, the game I played was play it safe. Play it safe. Play it safe. Right? But then you start coloring outside the lines and things get crazy and you kind of like it. So, <laughs> you know, so yes, I, I I can vibe with you on that. Okay. You were mentioning earlier. So I was really curious to ask you this question. Superpower. <laughs> what is your superpower? So I use a very specific definition of superpower. There are other definitions of it, but with my clients, I use specifically the definition of like something that doesn't seem like it's all that important necessarily, but that you, cause we all have these, right? Like somebody's great at opening pickle jars. I don't know. Where do they get that superhuman strength? Those kinds of things. Like what are those like weird random things that you would not put on your resume that you just happen to be extraordinarily good at? Because <clears throat> first of all, it activates kind of a quirky creative part of your brain and like a fun conversation, but there's I tell you what, there is always a thread from whatever those superpowers are into the work that you do or the work that you enjoy or are best at or should be doing. And I'll tell you the two of mine, and they're so random, but they, and I won't bore you with all the ways that they totally show up in my work, but in, you can use your imagination. My two are untangling necklaces, <gasps> parallel parking. We should hang out. <laughs> you have a lot of necklaces. Oh my gosh! I usually am determined to untangle them. I get to a point on occasion where it's it feels too overwhelming, and I have to phone a friend. You know, just like somebody else who wants to take a crack at it because I got it like half. Well, I think I got it halfway. 
I do you know? know because I am the friend that you phone because yeah. people bring me to their homes or people used to bring me when I worked in an office, they would bring me their necklaces. <laughs> oh, no, it's really no, I mean, good at this. It's probably some innovation that somebody did on Shark Tank that like will help you to not ever have a tangled necklace. There's some device that I haven't purchased yet. So I probably should buy one of those. Um, but it's a real challenge and that's a so I just want to acknowledge it as a person who has often tangled items. So that's a really good, that's a really good one. What about something on your bucket list? Ooh, I have so many things on my bucket list. I don't know where to start. When you first say bucket list, I always think of travel because I basically want to see everywhere. I want to go everywhere. I think I was just reading about, I was reading an article about Greenland, which has been on the bucket list for a while. Antarctica has been on the bucket list for a while. I'm obsessed with ice and Lord knows I may need to see it soon before it disappears. Um, But yeah, I just think ice is so beautiful and I've made a lot of art about ice and, you know, going to these like rugged, unpeopled places I find so exhilarating. And um, I've been to a few spots like that that are more like in the north of Sweden and Norway. And it's just, I don't know how to explain it. It's just rejuvenating and you feel so connected. And all that stuff that we're talking about here, like how do I be an influencer and how do I, you see it for what it is, right? You like look out at this clear sheet of ice that meets the sky and you're like, oh, that's all just a bunch of like happy noise. And that's fine. We can like enjoy the happy noise, but it's not like the real thing. This is the real thing. This is the real thing. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's amazing. (laughs) Susan, if there was one last piece of advice that you could give to anyone listening, what would it be? My piece of advice is your piece of advice. Be you. Like own it. Enjoy it. (laughs) Somebody recently asked me, uh, on another podcast, like, oh, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? And Mm -hmm. so this is like the piece of advice that I want to give to other people too, right? And my reaction at that time was like, oh, that poor girl. (laughs) I started laughing at myself. The advice is like, everything is going to be okay. Take a breath, right? Like take a breath. All of the, actually, I just found out that Steve Jobs used to say this a lot. You got to trust that all the dots are going to connect. I was like, oh my God, yes, that's the message. All the dots are going to connect. And I'm talking about zigzag. I want to be over here and over there. And I've got like 50 dots. And then I go, oh, how, how do they connect? They're going to connect. It may be a life's work and that's fine. But trust, it's going to be fine. You're going to find your way just follow the stuff that you want to do, you're going to figure it out. Uh, That's so comforting. (laughs) We need that. We need that message right now. Right now. Take that in, listeners. Take it in. Where can people find you, connect with you? So if you put embracethezigzag.com, into your browser, it will take you to my website, which is Susan Meyer Studio, all sorts of resources for coaching and workshops and 
brand guidelines and all good stuff. There's a couple free downloads on there too, which I encourage you to take advantage of. And I am also really active on Twitter. So you can find me Susan H. Meyer on Twitter. Um, say hi and connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm, you're going to put all that stuff in the show notes, I'm sure. I will. It's got to be thorough. It's the age we're living in. We got it. He's got lots of links. We got to link up through whichever channel, because that's that's the other thing about the social media land is everybody kind of gravitates to something that's their favorite. You know, you might be more of the LinkedIn person or the Instagram or the Twitter. So, you know, there's a space for everyone. Well, I use Instagram because I'm a zigzagger. I have multiple identities online and I love the visual piece of Instagram. So I put my, this is all my jewelry. So I put my jewelry and my artwork on Instagram, but I use the Twitter for my coaching business. I love it. I love it. That's the, you're, you're living the zigzag. That'd be me. Preaching. You're not just telling people zigging the zag. You're zigging and zagging too. I dig it. I dig it. This has been so enriching something that I, it's like cathartic because I'm in this place with a brand thinking about all the time, (laughs) what to do. And, and I do find that I come back to what you said and it's, it's when you're you, you don't have to think that hard about how to do that. (laughs) So yes. Yeah. It should be easy when you're in the flow. It just doesn't feel like a struggle, right? Just be yourself and people will love you. That's right. The end. The end. The The episode has concluded. And and replay that. Just those couple last seconds. Remind yourself. Share it with a friend today. Um, But this has been so amazing. Thank you so much for taking your time to come on the show. I really enjoyed my conversation with Susan Brand strategist, helping women through the zigzags of life to really define that clear brand. And I love that notion of what is the thread through all the things that make you, you. And so I am going to land this episode on the message that both Susan and I resonate with together. And that's about being you. That is the best thing that you can do for your brand. So there's two things. If you're a person right now who is, maybe it's not even about that you have a business or anything. You're, you're you and you work for a company and and there. It, this isn't just about the fact that you have to go and start some kind of separate brand. But I will say you are one, <clears throat> whether you acknowledge that or not. Even if you're tuning in as a person that works for a company, you still are a walking brand because you are you. And there might be working for them and it's you promoting their brand, but I do think that beyond that, it is you showing up as the person who does what you do, enjoys the hobbies and interests that you enjoy, chooses to spend time with the people you choose to spend time with, friends and family. And so that is your belief system. That is what you emanate. That is what you put out there into the world. If you're going right now and you have any kind of social media account, regardless of what kind it is, if you're posting 
that's your brand. That is stuff you believe in. Whether it is professional or personal, those are things that represent you. So the more authentic you are with that, the better. So I would just say that as a general point. And for those of you that do have a brand, that you are a business, that you have a product or you have a service, I would encourage you to reconnect with what your why is, what you're doing in the essence and spirit of that why. And if if now or if in upcoming your next strategy session is to either do one of two things, get feedback, like what Susan was describing, figure out how to get feedback from those customers or consumers so you know what things that you may adjust and manipulate to continue bringing the best to your clientele. Or if you're like, I already done that, Des. Like, I'm on it. You don't need to be telling me what to do. All right, all right, calm down. Don't get crazy. Look at your data. Re-look at your information. Look at your data. Look at, look at those strategies that you've already developed and do a gut check if those are still working. Is that bringing the customers, the clients, the, the volume, the traffic that you want in the door, or is there something that you need to tighten up a little bit more? There's something for everyone in this subject. Whether you believed it or not before you listened to this episode, I hope you do now. We are, we are all walking billboards for the things that we want to emanate in the world, whether it's formal or informal. So just know that. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. Share it with anybody that you think could get some value out of it. Remember that you are your only limit, so take action today. And be sure to tune in as we approach the holidays and just continue to talk about the things that resonate with you and add value to your life. I'd love your feedback. I really, really would. So if there are there are topics that you want to hear about or some segment that you want to be added to the show or adjusted on the show, this is a great time for me to get that feedback from you. So I invite you to do that. You can email des at or you can instant message at bornandbreakable on Instagram and take that in. Well, take in that feedback. Thanks so much for tuning in and I will see you next time.